I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Have you ever had a premonition? You know, that uncomfortable feeling warning you of a future event. The phenomenon is often characterized by sensations such as anxiety, uneasiness, vague feelings of disquiet suggesting impending disaster, and visual or auditory hallucinations. Premonition is sometimes referred to as a gut-level feeling. The sensation tends to occur prior to disasters, accidents, deaths, and other traumatic and emotionally charged events. Some people even attribute them to the presence of supernatural or paranormal abilities. Abraham Lincoln had a prophetic dream of his death and funeral, which he related to both his bodyguard and his wife mere hours before his assassination. In the dream, he saw people crying in the east wing of the White House. As he went to investigate, he was told the weeping was for the president who had been assassinated. His wife and bodyguard made light of the dream, and days later he was shot in the head by assassin John Wilkes Booth in the Ford Theater. His body was later held in the east wing of the White House so that people could pay their respects. The sinking of the Titanic on its maiden voyage is one of the most talked about events in history. Did you know that there are more than 20 verified incidents of premonitions and precognitions by would-be passengers who cancelled their reservations after dreaming of the ship's doom? Have you ever had a premonition? I warn you, they're not to be taken lightly. Today's date is August 20th, 2012 shortly before midnight, on what I am sure is the hottest day of the year. I am writing this at a shaky table for an open window. 
really sure not really sure where this house is, but it must be a few miles from my apartment in Chicago. I have had what I believe to be the most remarkable day of my life. I'm attempting to put the details down on paper as clearly as possible while they're still fresh in my mind. Fresh. Let me say at the beginning that my name is James Franklin Nemiroff. You must remember that in order to feel the full effect of my story. James Franklin Nemiroff. I'm 45 years old, in perfect health, hardly been sick a day in my life. By profession, I'm an artist. Not a very successful one, I must confess. Mr. Artist. Mr. Sobrin. You got my rent? Rent? Rent. The payment you make to me on a monthly basis in return for which I allow you a room in this building. I know what rent is, Mr. Sobrin. It's just that It's I... just that you owe it, and I want it. Don't get me wrong, Nemiroff. If we lived in a society less reliant on money... You could stay here as long as you liked, sketching your little sketches from sunup till sundown. But when I checked the news this morning, we weren't living in such a utopia. No, Mr. Nemiroff, we live in a... A capitalist society, yeah, I know. That's right, a capitalist society. And I need my capital. Now, do you have it? Or do I change the lock on your apartment door and start selling your possessions on eBay? Now, wait a second. Today's the 20th. Today is the 20th. Hottest day of the year so far, and incidentally, my granddaughter Elizabeth's 11th birthday. She lives in San Diego with her mother, and she never calls. What I mean is the rent is due on the last day of the month, or have you forgotten that? I have forgotten many things in my life, Mr. Nemiroff. I've forgotten my age, my telephone number, my zip code. I even started forgetting my beloved Lillian's face. May she rest in peace. But I have never once forgotten on what date the rent is due. So I still got 11 days. No, you have minus 20 days. You still owe me for last month. Or have you forgotten? No, I haven't forgotten, but I was sort of hoping you might have. And what are the chances of that, Nemiroff? Slim, Mr. Sobrin. Slim, which is what I'll be if I don't get money for food. Look at me. The weight is falling off me in this heat. And you want to hear the craziest thing? The local market insists that I make payment before they let me take groceries out of the store. You know why? Because we live in a, say it with me, a capitalist society. See, you can be taught. So, how about it? Will you take a check? Do you have a checkbook? No. Then, that was a dumb question. Okay, look. Tomorrow. You'll have the money tomorrow, I swear. I'm a nice guy. You know that, Nemiroff. Everybody says so. Yeah, I bet they do. But, I have my limits. And to continue like this, it's not fair to either of us. How old are you? Forty-five. Forty-five. And you still don't know what to do with your life. I'm an artist. You're an artist who hardly ever makes any art. Don't get me wrong. I admire creative people. I do. That's why I go so easy on you. But you gotta have direction. You don't have that. You're not any kind of artist. You're not any kind of anything. I get it. Do you, James? Do you? Yeah, I said I get it. Then what are you going to do? What are you going to do to help me and help yourself? I'll, I don't know, I'll make calls. You have to appreciate it's not easy selling a sketch. It's not like selling, I don't know, a cell phone. You do sketches, right? You know I do, Mr. Sobrin. Then why don't you draw for the comic books? Oh, no. Have you been to the movies lately? I couldn't afford to even if I wanted to. Just about every movie is a superhero movie. I'm telling you for your own good, there's money in the comic book business. Plus, you get to draw. 
Sounds like a win-win situation. I'd sooner die. Then do it outside. I don't want the smell of your rotting corpse in the carpet when I rent the apartment out again. <sighs> what carpet? Oh, what am I gonna do? What am I gonna do? Music. I need music. I need inspiration. To listen to the capsule countdown, you can update Pass. yourself at the top 40. Hot, damn, hot, hot, and sticky. I swear when I leave the studio today, I'm jumping into Lake Michigan. So remember, if your phone rings in the next half hour, make sure to pick it up and shout. I stay cool listening to Get it. Let's see. I sell most of my drawings to newspapers and magazines to accompany the article. I'm not married, and my only close relative, my sister, died five years ago, so really there's no one in particular to whom I address this manuscript. Only you, who might happen to read it someday. For because of the odd circumstances you're about to learn, I have the strongest premonition that I will never live to tell anyone about it. The time is present day. The place is the windy city of Chicago. Only on this stifling hot summer day, there is no wind. You've just encountered James Franklin Nemiroff, age 45, profession artist. Up until today, Nemiroff's life could be filed neatly under the heading of average. But something very strange, very unusual and worthy of telling is about to happen to Mr. Nemiroff. All because of a premonition. A premonition of brooding terror, of unseen forces in the summer's heat. So if you're inclined, let's look more closely at James Franklin Nemiroff, the protagonist in another of our Dread Time stories. Pangoria's Dreadtime stories will continue in a moment. Now, back to Fangoria's Dreadtime stories and a heated premonition. Damn it. What's the matter with me? I can't think. I can't draw. What is wrong with me anyway? You don't know me, and if I'm right, I'll soon be dead, and you never will. But take my word for it, this was a pretty average day for me. I glanced through the paper, poured myself a glass of lemonade, proceeded to let my mind wander in the hope that I might happen upon some subject for my pencil drawings. Even with the window open, my room was oppressively hot, and I just made up my mind that the coolest and most comfortable place in the neighborhood might be the deep end of a swimming pool when... Without warning, I was suddenly shaken by a strong feeling that swept over me in such a way as I had never experienced before. It was a swirling, overpowering sensation. I attempted to rise to my feet, but it seemed as though I'd somehow been glued to my chair. I didn't know what was the matter with me. At first, I thought it might be heat stroke or maybe a seizure. I reached out to try and brace myself, and then before I knew what I was doing, my pencil was in my hand. What the hell? And suddenly I began to draw. It was as though someone had taken hold of my hand and was moving it across the paper swiftly, feverishly. And then, after what seemed like a few minutes' time, I seemed to take over. My hand, now under its own power, began to draw. I soon forgot about the stifling August heat. Everything was forgotten in my overwhelming and frantic desire to finish the sketch as soon as possible. Damn. How long have I been drawing? What have I been drawing? The time. What? What's the time? Clock. And I started just after breakfast? What happened to me? Maybe, maybe this is what real creativity feels like. Like Michelangelo when he painted the... What am I talking about? I'm putting myself up among the giants and I don't even know what I've been doing half the day. Could be just some childish scribble. Could be... Wow.
is it? Mr. Soberin, it's me. I know a lot of me's. Which me are you? It's James Nemiroff. Ugh, James Nemiroff. If you have my money, you can come in. If you don't have it, I respectfully request you to go to hell. And if you're here to complain about the air conditioning, there's nothing I can do for you. You are not technically a resident in this building. I have something to show you. Unless it's a check for last month's rent, I'm not interested. Mr. Soberin, please. <sighs> all right, all right. Now don't be standing behind this door with a gun or anything. My faith in human nature is already at a pretty low ebb. I promise you. Okay, Mr. Nemiroff. So what have you got to show me? I drew this. Is this supposed to be in lieu of cash? Because if it is, you can stick it up your... Look at it. I'm not going to buy it. I got nowhere to put it. I need you to look at it, Mr. Sobrin. <sighs> so, I'm looking. Well? It's pretty good. Best thing I've ever drawn. I'm happy we both think so. But you made a mistake. What? Courtroom sketches like this, you hardly ever see them anymore. You ever watch court TV? Nobody needs these now. That's not why I drew it. So why did you draw it? I don't know. I couldn't stop myself. Couldn't help myself. That's so. I need someone to look at it. To help me understand it. So why are you asking me? Why not ask a friend? I don't really know many people. You're the closest thing I have to a friend, Mr. Soberin. Boy, that's depressing. So what about the drawing? Can you tell me about it? The drawing? The drawing. Okay. Like I said, it's a courtroom. Uh... I guess the judge is pronouncing sentence? He just pronounced it. How do you know? I just know. Then what do you need me for? Please, what about the criminal? <sighs> I think he would be called the defendant. Please, Mr. Soberin, I need to know what you see. Well, okay, he's a, he's a, well, he's a big fat guy, really fat. A man gets that big, it puts a strain on the heart. And you know why people end up like this? They don't like to exercise. They don't want to go outside because they're afraid of being mugged. Or worse, it's television. It makes people afraid to leave their home. Mr. Sobrin. Okay, so he's fat. He's got big rolls of flesh under his chin. He's clean shaven. Well, maybe not quite. Maybe a few days before he was clean shaven. And he's almost bald, for which he has my sympathy. He's standing in front of the judge holding the rail with his uh, left hand, looking straight in front of him. Yeah, but what about his expression? It's not horror on his face, so what is it? You drew it, don't you know? Can you please just go on? <sighs> Looks like exhaustion, like absolute fatigue, like there's nothing strong enough in him to sustain that mountain of flesh. Anything else? Yeah, it's not finished. What do you mean it's not finished? Of course it's finished. No, it's not. Look here. See, he's holding on to the rail with his left hand, but what's going on with his right? He's holding something, an instrument, or a weapon maybe. It's hard to tell. You know, if this were a real courtroom, they wouldn't let him bring anything in. Yeah, there is something there. Why didn't I notice that before? Nemiroff? I'd say get help, but help costs money, and you have more urgent bills to pay. Let me guess, you have no idea what you were planning to put in his hand? No, no idea at all. Well then, go finish it. Go finish it, Soberin says. Nemirov doesn't even know how he started it, or if he was capable of finishing it. He made the sketch and yet had no recollection of what he intended the man to hold in his right hand. Even now, as he makes his way back to his apartment down the long hallway, the thought of picking up his pencil again turns his fingers to lead. Once again, he is conscious of the intense heat. It feels like the fires of hell. He's sweating profusely, and he knows right then and there that he wouldn't finish the sketch anytime soon. He turns out to be right, but not for the reason he imagined. In the hallway, Nemirov stands in front of his apartment and attempts to open the door. What the hell? Come on, I'm locked out!
Soberin, open up. I don't think that would be a good idea, Mr. Nemiroff. You changed the lock on my damn department door. I told you I would. Can't say you weren't warned. You wanna be a starving artist? Go starve someplace else! Inspiration. That's what every artist needs. And Nemiroff needs a lot of it. Not just for his sketches. He's out of work, and he no longer has a place to lie his head. All he has are the pencils in his pocket, and a sketch that he's no clear recollection of drawing. Good as it is, nobody would want it, he knows that. But the other side was blank. All he needs is the right subject. Well, that's all anybody really needs. Nemiroff sets out with the idea of walking along Halstead Street and turning right along Fremont, where the men are at work repairing some train tracks. He thinks about sketching the workers, but he just isn't motivated to, so he keeps walking. But the damned heat. He strolls through the parks along crowded streets, always conscious of the awful heat that comes up from the pavement in a suffocating wave. And he remembers, too, the hollow sound of his footsteps as he moves along. Although he is walking aimlessly, he knows that somehow there is a place for him to be. A someone or something to which he is being drawn. Is he being controlled by the same force that caused him to produce that sketch of a courtroom he'd never seen and a man he'd never met? Nemroff only knows he has to keep going forward. There's nothing left for him in the way he'd come. Whatever he finds, whenever he finally stops, it will be meant for him. I hoped for some cloud cover to shield me from the burning sun as I walked, but none came. My only salvation was that the sun was starting to set, so I figured the blistering heat should let up a little. It felt as though I was under the grip of a powerful force that had made me draw the picture I had in my pocket and that had set me walking on this path. But a path to where? When would I be finished? Would I ever even know it? I needed to get a hold of myself. Listen to me, whoever or whatever you are. I'm tired of being your puppet. Whatever game this is, I don't want to play a part of it anymore. I'm going home, you hear me? I'm going home. Find somebody else to take my place, okay? Ugh. Turn yourself around, damn it. Walk the other way. You can do this, James. It's just one foot in front of the other. You've been doing it all your life. There's not a single thing you can't walk away from, so walk away from this. Do whatever you have to do. Beg old man Sobrin for your apartment back. I don't know, just turn yourself around. Ah. No, that's the wrong way. No, no, no. Okay, 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 no more running. I'll do whatever you want. You win. You hear me? You win. Thankfully, his journey doesn't last too much longer. Within a half hour, Nemirov finds himself standing before a gate that leads into a yard that he at first thinks is a junkyard. It has a tiny brick house toward the back. The yard has scattered patches of flowers with bees droning over them. He stands there looking down at the flowers and the bees for a moment, and then he looks up. Over the entrance to the yard, there is a board attached to the gate. The inscription, Charles Atkinson, Monumental Mason, Worker in Imported Marble. From the yard itself comes a cheery whistle, the noise of hammer blows and the cold sound of steel striking stone. A sudden impulse makes Namroff enter and he heads in the direction of the noise. Sitting on a low stool is a large man with his back towards Nemiroff. The man is busy at work on a slab of curiously veined marble. 
As Nemirov approaches him from behind, the man stops working suddenly, without turning around. I know you're there. If you're after money, you came to the wrong place. I'm not a rich man. I just get by. Oh, I'm not here to rob you. That's good to know. <sighs> so you're here on business? That's the peculiar thing, Mr. Atkinson, is it? That's right. You see, I'm not... <sighs> What's the matter? <sighs> the matter? You know when they say in movies, you look like you've seen a ghost? Well, I never knew what that meant till now, but that's what you look like. I was sure he was right, but I couldn't tell him why. Couldn't come out with it right then. But when Charles Atkinson, monumental mason and worker in imported marble, turned to face me, I knew him, even though I'd never seen him before. He was the man in my drawing. We'll return to Fangoria's Dread Time stories after these words. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free, and when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Hi, I'm Carl Amari. If you enjoy classic radio shows like The Shadow, Jack Benny, Gunsmoke, Dragnet, The Whistler, and Abbott and Costello, consider joining the Classic Radio Club. Each month, members receive 10 of the greatest classic radio shows of all time. As curator, the 10 shows I select will be the best sound quality and the most popular, along with a rare show sprinkled in to add to the fun. I'll also send you historical liner notes, plus photos of the radio stars. Members also receive an email each week with a link to the full five-hour Hollywood 360 radio show. The links never expire, so you can listen to Hollywood 360 whenever you'd like. The first month membership fee is only $1, with each additional month under $10. And you can cancel at any time with no obligation. By joining the Classic Radio Club, you're supporting this show, so we thank you very much. Join the Classic Radio Club at ClassicRadioClub.com. That's ClassicRadioClub.com.
Now back to Fangoria's Dread Time stories and a heated premonition. Yes, it was definitely him. His face was on the sketch in my pocket, but I didn't feel like referring to it just yet. Now wasn't the right time, but when would be the right time to say, excuse me, sir, we've never met, but the same inexplicable force that led me here today also caused me to draw you on trial for your life? He just sat there, a huge rotund body, the sweat pouring from his scalp, not speaking. Then he took a red silk handkerchief from his pocket and mopped his brow. <sighs> Although this face that looked up at me was the same as in my sketch, the expression was absolutely different. It was one of puzzlement. Suddenly the puzzlement was replaced by cheeriness, and he got up and took my hand as if we were old friends. Welcome to you, sir. Well, thank you. Look, I I'm sorry to just walk up on you like this. I didn't mean to freak you out or anything. Not at all, not at all. It's just that I was out for a walk and I just sort of ended up here. I hope you don't mind. <laughs> no, I don't mind. I like company. Oh, it's hot. Take a load off, have a seat. Oh, there's nowhere to sit. Sit on the gravestone, I'm almost done with it. Gravestone, okay. Nice and cool, huh? Yeah. It's about the only thing that is cool today. Man, I can't remember it ever being so hot. Can you remember it ever being so hot? No, I can't, I really can't. This is a, it's a beautiful piece of stone you've got here. In a way, it truly is. In a way? Oh, the surface here is as fine as anything you could wish for, but unfortunately, there's a big flaw in the back. Though I don't expect you'd notice it right off. Well, I doubt I would. I'm not really what you'd call a marble expert. In the summer, a flaw in the marble is no problem. But wait until the winter comes. Winter? Oh, yeah. Believe me, there's nothing quite like frost to find the weak points in stone. Really? So, uh, what do you tell your customer? What customer? The, um, the relative of whoever this gravestone's for. Oh, it's not for a customer. Then, if you'll excuse me for asking... I'll excuse you. What's the point? Why carve a gravestone for, well, for nobody? It's for a trade show. Trade show? That's right. Death is big business. Morticians, casket builders, headstone makers. We all attend and present our wares. I had no idea there was such a thing. Not to be rude, but headstone's a headstone, isn't it? Oh, you'd be surprised. There are many different kinds of marbles. Some of them better suited to withstanding wind and rain. Some are easier to work with than others. And fashions and tastes change from year to year. Try taking a walk through a cemetery sometime. Oh, no. No thanks. <laughs> Squeamish, huh? I guess so. I never really thought about it before. I mean, I lost both my parents, but my sister took care of all the arrangements. Well, when she died, I had her cremated. We don't use the C word around here. Oh, sorry. Oh, it's a valid choice. But a man's livelihood is always kind of a sore point, don't you agree? I don't know. I've never been successful enough at anything to feel that way. No shame in showing pride. It's not like it's a sin. Oh, wait, it actually is a sin. <laughs> yeah, one of the seven big ones. Still, it's impossible not to feel satisfaction over something you've made with your own two hands. Take that bird feeder, for instance. Oh, it's nice. It's nothing ornate, like a gravestone, but... <sighs> the heat, huh? Bad today. Real bad. A man's not responsible for what he does in this kind of heat. So you feel like telling me yet? Telling you what? What it was that turned you pale when I first saw you. You still look a little queasy. Yeah, I bet I do. So? Well, it's... Well, I guess you could say I'm just having a touch of deja vu. How so? Well, somehow I get the feeling I've experienced all this before. The fragrance of the flowers, our conversation about the marble, the heat, especially the heat. All before, huh? That's right. And yet I've never, ever been in this section of town before, let alone at this yard. And we've never met before? Well, maybe your face is sort of familiar. Is it? It's kind of hard to explain. Maybe I saw you once before. Maybe your face found a place in some out-of-the-way corner of my memory. Possible. 
There. I'm finally finished. Well, what do you think of it? Um, I can't really read upside down. It says, In the midst of life, we are in death. Born January 16th, 1967. January 16th? Something wrong? What else does it say? He passed away very suddenly on August 20th, 2012. That's today. Yeah, well, we often use a present date on these exhibition stones. Do you usually put a name on them, too? Of course. Where is it? You're sitting on it. You have to get up to read it. Oh, okay. Let's see. Sacred to the memory of James Franklin Nemiroff. A cold shudder sweeps over Nemiroff, and he sits there in silence. Ooh, hot, hot. Even with the sun almost set, it's still so damn hot. Gotta get a new handkerchief. This one's all wet from my sweat. Watch this. See that? That's a pint of me right there. The name James Franklin Nemiroff. Where where did you see it? Where'd you see that name? Huh? I didn't see it anywhere. I wanted some name and I put down the first one that popped into my head. Better to have something a little unusual, you know? You see a thousand Smiths and Joneses. It's really a very strange coincidence, but the name happens to be mine. Huh? Oh, yeah, right, joke. <laughs> I get it. I'm not joking, Mr. Atkinson. Really not. That, that's your name? You're uh, James uh, Franklin? Uh... Nemiroff, yes. Well. And uh, the dates? Well, I can only account for the birth date. That's correct. Oh. That sure is spooky. <laughs> yeah, and there's something spookier. Oh? What's that? Well, I'm a sketch artist. I use pencil and paper, and this morning I made a sketch of you. A sketch of me? That's right. But you said you've never seen me before. That's right. Oh. Oh. Here, take a look. <laughs> and to think it was only the other day that I told Martha there were no such things as ghosts. Ghosts? You know what I mean. Your expression earlier, my face in your sketch, your name on my gravestone. Yeah, yeah, I understand. My, uh, my name. I guess you probably heard it someplace. Yes, yes, that's it. And you must have seen me somewhere and then forgotten it. I must have, right? Yes. Yeah. Were you at the... The boat show at Navy Pier. They offer each other suggestions where they might have met before, but they can't connect the dots. Not surprising, really, because there are no dots to be connected. And so there they are, silent for some time. And they stand there looking at each other and at the two dates on the gravestone. Born January 16th, 1967 passed away August the 20th, today. We'll return to Fangoria's Dread Time stories after this. And now, back to Fangoria's Dread Time stories and the conclusion to... A heated premonition. Nemiroff has reached a point where he can think of nothing more to say to Mr. Charles Atkinson. Once he'd told him that he'd drawn a sketch of him on trial, without ever seeing him before in his life, small talk seemed, well, smaller than ever. Nemiroff isn't sure how sincere Atkinson means to be when he invites him inside his home for something to eat but it is at least an attempt to break the tension, so he accepts. Martha, did you have to cook a hot meal in this weather? Couldn't you have made a, a salad? When have you ever eaten a salad, Charles? <laughs> you have a point. It's just, ah, this heat. Don't you feel the heat, Mrs. Atkinson? I feel nothing at all, Mr. Nemiroff. 
Is the food to your liking? Oh, it's delicious. It's been a long time since I've enjoyed a real home-cooked meal. Years. Years? My goodness. It's the pace of modern life, my dear. We're lucky, you and I. Mrs. Atkinson is a strange little woman, pale as can be. She looks as though she'd lived her entire life indoors. Nemirov thinks to himself that her face is quite interesting, not beautiful, but not unattractive either. In a different set of circumstances, he would very much like to sketch her. She must suffer from poor circulation or some other affliction because she's wearing layers of clothes in the god-awful heat. After the meal, Atkinson goes outside to smoke and she and Nemirov are left alone. From the small kitchen window, Nemirov can see Atkinson sitting outside on his stool smoking and he's quite sure Atkinson can see them both as they talk at the kitchen table. You're my husband's friend, Mr. Nemirov? That's right. You're an artist? A sketch artist, yes. I, uh, I like to use pencils. You're very welcome in my home. I'm only sorry Charles hasn't brought you here before. Oh, I thank you, Mrs. Atkinson. You're kind to say so. You have a lovely voice, Mr. Nemirov. Has anyone ever told you that? Why, no, ma'am. No one's ever told me that. The cupboard behind you. You see that thin black book? Uh-huh. Could you get it out for me, please? Well, of course. Here you are. I would very much like to hear you read aloud from it. Me? You have such a lovely voice. Okay. If you insist. Are you familiar with the book? The Prophet by Khalil Gibran. No, never heard of it. Please, read. From anywhere? Yes. Then Almitra spoke, saying, We would ask now of death. And he said, You would know the secret of death. But how shall you find it unless you seek it in the heart of life? The owl whose night-bound eyes are blind unto the day cannot unveil the mystery of light. If you would indeed behold the spirit of death, open your heart wide unto the body of life. For life and death are one, even as the river and the sea are one. In the depth of your hopes and desires lies your silent knowledge of the beyond. And like seeds dreaming beneath the snow, your heart dreams of spring. Trust the dreams, for in them is hidden the gate of eternity. Your fear of death is but the trembling of the shepherd when he stands before the kind whose hand is to be laid upon him in honor. Is the shepherd not joyful beneath his trembling than he shall wear the mark of the king? Yet is he not more mindful of his trembling? For what is it to die but to stand naked in the wind and to melt onto the sun? And what is it to cease breathing but to free the breath from its restless tides? that it may rise and expand and seek God unencumbered. Only when you drink from the river of silence shall you indeed sing. And when you have reached the mountaintop, then you shall begin to climb. And when the earth shall claim your limbs, then shall you truly dance. Was that, was it all right? You read so beautifully, Mr. Nemiroff. Thank you. I think I'll uh, check on your husband. He's outside, yes. Sun's gone down, but it's no cooler. Man's not responsible for what he might do in this heat. Yeah, so you said. Martha never asked me to read aloud for her. Well, she said she liked my voice. Well, I didn't mean to. Ah, forget it, forget it. It doesn't matter. Smoke? No, no thanks, I quit. You're wise beyond your years. These things will kill you. But I like to smoke when I think, or think when I smoke, I'm not sure which. You still have that sketch? Yeah, of course. Let me see it again. <laughs> I wondered if maybe we were mistaken. Maybe the heat was playing tricks with our minds, but nope. No doubt it's me. And on trial. Uh, I hope you don't mind me asking, Mr. Atkinson, but um, do you know of anything you've done that you could be put on trial for? No, I've done nothing. <laughs> Not yet. Not yet? That watering can full. Watering can? At your feet. Oh, yeah. Um, about half full. 
Half full, huh? Wouldn't have pegged you for an optimist, Mr. Nemiroff. Mind if I have it? Sure. Thanks. I water these babies twice a day in the hot weather, and the heat still gets the better of the delicate ones. And ferns, good lord, they could never stand it. So where do you live? Huh? Live? Oh. that away, I think. I've been walking a while. Look, it's like this. We need to look at the matter straight. If you go back home tonight, you're taking a chance. A chance? This isn't the best part of town. The car could run you over in the dark. You could fall in a pothole and break your neck. I think the best thing is for you to stay here until morning, or at least till midnight. Midnight? Won't it be more dangerous to leave then? What's the headstone say? Date of death today. But by midnight, it'll be tomorrow. Get it? Oh, yeah. So, what do you say? Um, fine, yeah. Good idea. Let's go back inside. We'll go in the basement. It might be cooler. I'm sitting in a long, low room beneath the first floor that serves as Atkinson's workroom. Atkinson has sent his wife to bed, and he's busy sharpening some tools at a little workbench and smoking another cigarette. I've, I've tried to make small talk with him, but he's too intent on his work to answer. I take out the sketch from my pocket and unfold it. And as I look at the sketch, I focus my attention on the fuzzy outline of what the man in the picture is holding in his right hand. Using my pencil, I make a few short strokes and complete the sketch. And in doing so, what the man is holding suddenly becomes clear. It is a chisel, and it's stained with dark liquid. The sketch is now complete. The air seems charged with thunder, and I can hear it in the distance. It's ominous, but it carries the hope of rain. And perhaps the god-awful heat will break soon and the day will be over. It is close to 12 midnight. It's almost tomorrow. I'm writing this at a shaky table before the open window. The leg is cracked and Atkinson, who seems to be a handyman with his tools, will no doubt mend it as soon as he's finished putting an edge on his chisel. There it is. Twelve. The day is over. I'll be going home soon. But the heat... The heat is stifling. This heat is enough to drive a man mad. I warn you, premonitions are not to be taken lightly. For James Franklin Nemiroff, a premonition mixed with the oppressive August heat proved deadly. Fact, in the United States, statistics show that more murders are committed at 92 degrees Fahrenheit than at any other temperature. Even though Charles Atkinson swears he has no memory of the crime, the jury had little trouble convicting him. For at the murder scene were three very incriminating pieces of evidence. The blood-stained Mason chisel, Nemroff's sketch of Atkinson, and Nemroff's manuscript, which, if it is to be believed, 
came to an abrupt conclusion as the clock began to strike midnight. By the way, Nemirov's sketch of Atkinson ended up accompanying several newspaper articles on the murder. Ironic? <laughs> Some may think so, but then again, irony is only one small ingredient of these dread time stories. We'll return to Fangoria's Dread Time stories after this. Every five minutes, a transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler, with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. A heated premonition was written for radio by Carl Amari and M.J. Elliott, based on the short story August Heat by W.F. Harvey. Heard in the cast were Carl Amari, Rich Kamenik, Joby Cerny, Lisa Wolfe, Jim McCants, and Tim Terrell. Fangoria's Dreadtime Stories with host Malcolm McDowell is a copyrighted radio feature produced and directed by Carl Amari. Executive producer, Thomas DeFeo. Associate producer, Chris Rowe. Sound design, custom Foley effects, recording, and editing are produced in the Cerny American Sound to Picture Theater by sound designers Craig Lee, Bob Benson, and Tim Cerny. Original music composed and conducted by Chris Alexander. Join us next time on The Dark Side, where the night never ends, for another fascinating story presented by Fangoria Magazine. Jim McCants speaking. <laughs>